Discover FX's Shogun, the official podcast available now. Every legend begins with a story. Listen and explore episode by episode the story of war, passion, and power set in feudal Japan. Join host Emily Yoshida each week with the creators, cast, and crew in this exclusive companion podcast. They dive deep into the twists and turns of the plot, go behind the scenes, and explore the real-life history that informed the limited series based on James Clavell's best-selling novel. Search FX's Shogun wherever you listen to podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Alienware. During Dell Tech Fest, score game-changing innovations with limited-time deals on select next-gen Alienware gaming tech. New dimensions await with advanced gaming systems like the Alienware M18 laptop powered by an Intel Core i9 processor. Featuring awe-inspiring visuals, liquid cooling, three-dimensional audio with Dolby Atmos, and impressive overclocking potential. Your dream setup, amazing prices, and free shipping await you for a limited time only at Alienware.com. Deals. That's Alienware.com slash deals. Hey, Sarah, I love that spring break vlog you posted on Zigazoo. OMG, you watched it? Yeah, it was so cool. I think you're so talented. Social media is only positive with Zigazoo, the world's largest and safest social media network for kids. In Zigazoo, all community members are verified kids just like yours. And all content is fully human moderated. Try out Zigazoo this spring break. Download the Zigazoo app today. Ready to celebrate International Women's Day? M&M's and iHeart present Women Take the Mic, sharing empowering stories of women supporting and celebrating each other. And of course, there is a smooth and creamy companion for your listening pleasure, peanut butter M&M's, because they're just another way to help treat yourself in situations where you deserve a little added delight, like listening to your favorite podcast. So savor the deliciousness of peanut butter M&M's and spread some positivity. From breaking glass ceilings to dominating in sports and entertainment, women truly are unstoppable. From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. A production of iHeartRadio. Hello, welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. Our compatriot Noel is on adventures. They called me Ben. We're joined, as always, with our super producer, Paul Mission Control Deccant. Most importantly, you are you, you are here, and that makes this stuff they don't want you to know. Uh, this is uh, this is a food episode, which means usually, you know, in the course of recording this, uh, Matt, you and I are going to uh, become increasingly famished right yes that's for certain happens. as you know generally we don't eat a lot of things prior to recording for some reason i don't know why why we do that to ourselves mostly because we're just working to get all the information make sure we're ready to roll but uh yeah this one in particular could make you hungry it's not gonna make you feel squeamish like maybe some of our other food episodes Right, right. And uh, shout out, shout out to the listener on Twitter. I think I sent this to you guys. Shout out to the listener on Twitter who joined in our com- our debate about calamari as uh, pig holes, pig intestines, we should say. That conversation continues. Uh, this is not like that. Uh, not today's episode, to your point, Matt. This is the first in a recurring series because recently, longtime listeners, you'll recall that we did uh, – we did a second part on the weird uh, conspiracies around fast food or the food industry in general, and we got a lot of a lot of our fellow listeners wrote to us uh, with their own takes on this, and several wrote to us asking about one big aspect of the food industry we did not explore, which is the livestock industry. Yeah, uh, <laughs> the livestock industry is is big and it's powerful when you think about all of the components, all the companies, all the interests that exist there, which means, I mean, like a lot of big things, it has secrets and how it got that big and what it has to do to continue on being big. So for the purposes of this episode, let's begin with how did the meat industry become so big? And with a lot of things, when they become big, you can lower prices because you're, you know, doing all kinds of things to uh, to make the process of producing whatever you're producing cheaper. 
So let's start this episode with why is meat so cheap, at least here in the United States? Here are the facts. Well, hang on. You might be saying, <laughs> hey, hang on, hang on. Bag your badgers, gentlemen. Meat is not cheap. I would have well, agreed with you. <laughs> right, right. Uh, many people would before diving into some of this stuff. So first, there are a couple factors at play here. Everyone who has survived the pandemic so far knows that temporary COVID-related closures of factories did drive prices up. And this was compounded by uh, panic buying, right? Which is mm -hmm. one thing when you are preparing for chaotic or unstable situations, you never want to be panic buying. You want to already have your stuff, you know, in your deep freezer and your pantry, et cetera. Uh, but people were scared. And so there was a, a smaller supply than normal for a little while, and there was a larger demand. So it drove some prices up. But really, meat in the U.S., if you are just the average, you know, uh, John, Jane, or Jehoshaphat walking through your grocery store, meat in the U.S. is pretty cheap, especially when compared to many other countries. So to get a sense of how meat prices in the U.S. relate to the, the rest of the world, we have to take a global perspective, right? We have to look at the, the world's meat industry first. So if we're looking at the price of meat across the world, there are a lot of different factors that go into a specific country's price of meat. Um, so I think it's, it's better for us to look at how affordable is meat in any given country across mm. the world. So let's consider an absolute price, the, the price that you'd see wherever you procure your meat at a, you know, a farmer's market or a store or something. Uh, that sticker price can be lower in one country, and it doesn't matter that it's lower overall because it may not be affordable compared to the income that an average person is able to make uh, when you think about the amount of the percentage of income they'd be able to spend on food or meat. Uh, for example, there's this group called Cater Wing, and there's a great article on Eater where you can see this information uh, written out in graphs. They uh, they calculated how many hours a local resident of any given country would have to work at minimum wage to afford two pounds of any given meat type. So chicken, pork, whatever. And uh, it's really it's really interesting to think about it in that way. I think it's probably one of the closest things to uh, a standard metric to really compare uh, the, you know, the prices of food and meat in particular across the world. So let's look at Indonesia. Uh, their meat is super cheap, super, super cheap. It's about 38% cheaper than the global average. As of 2017. Yeah. Oh, you're right. These stats are from 2017. Uh, we've also got some stuff from 2018 that we'll be mentioning in the show. A lot of times, you know this, it takes a while to get all of these aggregated numbers in, to crunch them all down, and then to present something like uh, like Eater did in their article or like Caterwing did when they calculated this stuff. So uh, according to 2017 prices... Meat in Indonesia is among the least affordable in the world, even though it's 38% cheaper than the global average. And according to this index that Caterwing created, Indonesians have to work more than 23 hours, 23 hours to afford two pounds of beef. That seems uh, like a lot. That's almost three times as much as people who live in Hong Kong have to pay or have to work in order to buy meat, and nine times as much as an American would have to work to afford two pounds of meat. Yeah, yeah. So it's, I, I think that's a good way to frame that conversation because an ultimate price is a tricky thing. It's not the same thing as something being affordable. What I like about the work, what I like about the work here is that you can slice it, not upon a number of different ways, uh, because of course, chicken is going to be cheaper than beef, right, in most countries. Uh, you, can, you can slice it this way. One thing I want to walk back on here is that this, this thing, which is called the Cater Wings Meat Index, uh, doesn't include every country. It's the top meat-producing countries that have to work at minimum wage. And you can see some – I think the highest – and this affordability index would be India, where people have to work 27.36 hours for two pounds 
of meat overall. And the thing about these kind of aggregations is that there are a lot of there are a lot of tricky things here so your individual mileage may vary if you are a resident of one of these countries but i really wanted to to include that because americans eat a lot of meat or us residents i should say eat a lot of meat because it's easier for us to do so if you look at numbers like this so i was talking about global overall look uh, the best way to do that is to look at production and consumption statistics. So, and I promise we're going somewhere with this. So here's the bottom line, conspiracy realists. Despite small variations year over year, meat consumption in general is increasing because the world is growing more wealthy. Global demand for meat is growing. Over the past 50 years, meat production has more than tripled, and now the world produces more than like 340 million tons, more than that easily every single year. There's a guy named David Sprinkle who's a research director at Packaged Facts, and he has a quote about this that we quite enjoyed. It's the following. In many parts of the world, meat is among the least affordable food options. It's generally pricier than locally available grains, beans, vegetables, and fruit. However, as average incomes rise, more people uh, eat meat, first as an occasional treat, and then finally as something they consume multiple times a week, if not daily. And if you have traveled... Uh, if, if you're not from the U.S. or if you've traveled outside of the U.S., depending on where you went, you'll notice that meat functions as a status symbol in some parts of the world. I mean, I've been in places where uh, without getting without getting too deep into it, I was a vegetarian for a while and I was in situations where uh, it would be offensive to refuse food that someone offered me that – Beyond just being a bad guest, it would be offensive because it contained meat. So it was very – it was like a, a somewhat prestigious thing, right? So I totally broke it. I didn't want to be that person saying I know life is very challenging here, but I, uh, I'm too good for what you cook. You know, there's a big cultural thing about consumption of meat here and it plays into it because now it's kind of like there's something – there's something about success to it. It has the air of success. Uh, and this this seems set to continue if we look at projected trends. The Packaged Facts Group has something called the Global Meat and Poultry Trends. And they they expect, despite, um, despite any disasters, man-made or biological, meat consumption is going to increase at least 1.4% uh, through 2023, and again, a large part of this is due to the economic rise of uh, some of the countries that you would you would hear called BRIC once upon a time. You you know what I'm talking about there, right? Yeah, I mean that it, it's astonishing to think that meat consumption would increase, you know, 1.4 percent year over year for that long, given the challenges that the the meat you know the overall meat industry faces, especially countries like the U.S. that that does produce a ton of meat and then exports a lot of meat as well. Mm. Um, and just thinking about safety factors, you know, we've, we've heard stories of so many poultry and other meat factories having to close or those factories continuing to function, even when there was an outbreak of coronavirus within the factory on the factory floor and mm. then was kept quiet, which is something we will likely be talking about in the future. Um, it's just astonishing to think, Something like that wouldn't, wouldn't, you know, put a big hole in that growth or, you know, a damper on that growth. But as, as we talked about before, we eat as humans so much dang meat. Anyway, sorry, to get back to the, the BRIC countries, that's Brazil, Russia, India, China. Those countries, we, we've talked about them several times in the, in the context of BRIC and why they're called that. So we set we've set up a very uh, a high level look at the global situation. But if you are asking where's the beef, you have to ask about Uncle Sam. If we zoom in in the Google Earth of your mind uh, to the U.S. meat industry, and we do the same thing, look at uh, 
production and consumption stats, then we quickly see cattle production is the most important agricultural industry in the United States, accounting for 66.2 billion in just cash receipts in 2019. And overall, this industry, cattle production specifically, represents about 18% of the $374 billion in total cash receipts that were forecast for all agricultural commodities in 2019. The big cow is real, and big cow is big, I guess, if we really want to simplify it. And in addition to, they're kind of in like a men's hair club. I'm not just the the president. I'm a member kind of situation because in in addition to having the world's largest, what they call fed cattle industry, the U.S. is also the largest consumer of beef. This might not be true forever as these other countries are rising in their economic status. And so again, you know, the, uh, the thing that really want to hit on is that difference you mentioned, Matt, between an ultimate sticker price and affordability. It's not just how big the slice is out of your budget. It's how big the overall pie, oh, mincemeat pie is. So how did we get here? Well, food used to be uh, much more expensive, actually. Our spending on food in the U.S. as, you know, a slice of our meat lover's pizza has actually declined dramatically is since 1960. But even since before then, you can see charts from the Department of Agriculture that show, like if you went from 1960 to 2007, you would see it, it dropped by almost half from 17.5% of a household income to 9.6%. We're purchasing more food for less money and we're using less of our income to do it. Uh, Thanks, fast food. Yeah. Because a lot of that beef ends up in a burger from wherever, whatever fast food joint you go to. Mm -hmm. And think about the increase in portion size in places. Think about the increase in dining out in places. Uh, Think about... um, We're dining in now. Dining in now, yeah, pre-pandemic. So it's odd, isn't it, that with the price of so many things rising over time, the cost of some foodstuffs, meat in particular, seems to have actually declined in the U.S. over time. Why is this happening? Is this a a thing that is going to continue in the future? and what does it mean? You know what I mean? What, what are we actually, what price are we actually paying for this? We'll tell you after a word from our sponsor. Martha Stewart, the original influencer. When I think about anything, I think about the way that she did it first. The media mogul. The six years ahead, she saw what was coming. The prisoner, the rise, the fall. And the reinvention of an American icon. Once Martha paved the road, everybody else pretty much copied her. A CNN original series, The Many Lives of Martha Stewart, now streaming on Max. Have you heard about the social media platform for kids? It's called Zigazoo. It's a great place where kids like me can come together to make fun videos. Zigazoo is moderated by real live people who review content before it's posted on the feed. Oh, <laughs> I especially love the dance challenges. So much fun. Oh, and there's no comments or messaging, so you don't get any of that negativity that's all over other social networks. Oh, my friends love it. I love that it's Kids Safe COPPA certified. Uh, I don't know what that means. It means it has built-in privacy protections for your online data. Uh, that's great, but I wouldn't be doing Zigazoo if it wasn't fun. She would not be doing it if I didn't think her data was safe. Zigazoo, the world's largest social network. For kids! (laughs) Download the Zigazoo app today. Are you ready to share some joy and celebrate International Women's Day? M&M's has partnered with iHeart for Women Take the Mic, treating you to the most uplifting and empowering stories of women supporting and celebrating each other. And of course, there is a smooth and creamy companion for your listening pleasure, peanut butter M&M's, because they're just another way to help treat yourself in situations where you deserve a little added delight, like listening to your favorite podcast. So grab a handful of that creamy deliciousness. 
kick back and spread some positivity into the world. From smashing glass ceilings to breaking records in sports, on stages, and at the box office, women are crushing it in every way imaginable. And with peanut butter M&Ms by your side, relax and keep listening to Women Take the Mic podcasts as you dance your way through inspiring stories, share laughs, and savor the deliciousness of peanut butter M&Ms and the unstoppable force of women. Happy International Women's Day. This is Holly Fry from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV, like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain, from the road to the trails. And with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew can stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers. And with available features, like the panoramic moonroof, you can sit back, enjoy the wide-open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Here's where it gets crazy. Well, none of this happened by accident. It doesn't necessarily mean it was planned to go down exactly this way, but it wasn't an accident. It it takes a lot of work to maintain all of the things that we've been talking about, specifically production and, you know, keeping consumption at levels is actually, that's a marketing thing we can We can talk about that later. Uh, There are a ton of often ignored side effects and consequences, real consequences when it comes to eating this much meat and producing, especially producing this much meat. And we actually may be paying more for meat, just not in, you know, the sticker price. We, the, the end user consumer of meat, isn't the one necessarily paying for it with the dollars out of their wallet. We might be paying for it with our lives. Well, that, <laughs> our future. <laughs> here's the thing. Uh, you know, we've got a lot of listeners in the crowd who are uh, maybe maybe themselves vegetarians. Maybe you're listening along and you're saying, "Well, I don't participate in this because I'm vegan or vegetarian." Well, if you pay taxes, you are supporting this industry, uh, and we'll you know we'll show you how momentarily we've also got we've also got a ton of people listening today a lot of us are listening maybe in a meat packing plant maybe making food in the kitchen you know and, and breaking out some ribs you were excited about or something like i'm i'm probably i'm going to try to cook some ribs i've always i've always got a weird food project going on but it's this is at every level of american society and maybe it's uh, when we're when we're exploring how this came about and what it means, uh, maybe it's best to propose a couple of factors and then see uh, which one is the primary driver or if they all work together. First, geography. It's crazy, you know, you don't know what you've got till it's gone, as Joni Mitchell said. Uh, I think that was Joni Mitchell, right? Yeah, as Joni Mitchell said, uh, Big Yellow Taxi, good song, holds up. The U.S. has this tremendous abundance of natural resources. We have a lot of space. There's, there's a lot going on between the East and West Coast, and you may not hear about it, but, but it's a very productive part of the world. It's easy to grow food pretty cheaply here, amber waves of grain and so on, but that alone can't be the entire answer because there are other parts of the world that are, you know, that are so-called bread baskets or that are um, hubs of a cattle industry. So what makes the U.S. a little bit different? I would say we have to consider four basic things, subsidies, lobbying, corruption, and security. Mm, That makes a lot of sense because most of the larger companies, even some small companies that are involved in any way in the meat business, including these, the big old meat packers, like I guess the Tysons of the world, they're represented by one or more of these powerful meat trades. You, you've probably 
heard of this. We've we've spoken about it a little bit before, but you know, you can think of these as lobbying organizations, essentially uh, groups that are in, they exist entirely to prop up one or more meat product like big pork essentially uh the, the this kind of thing really exists there's one called the american meat institute uh, or the national meat association the national cattlemen's beef association these are powerful groups and um a lot of them have very strong voices in you know decision making heads of washington because a, a lot of these groups essentially represent workers who are voters and that's that's why it's there that's mm-hmm. why it's so powerful well yeah what do you do you want to be that congressperson who has to go back to your constituents and say hey uh i approved some new regulations that may be better for consumers but they are going to be much more expensive for the companies that employ you and uh that kind of stuff rolls downhill yeah, it's it's a it's a convoluted process. Making sure meat is is affordable enough to be consumed at levels that are high enough, so that you have to continue producing, and so everybody has jobs, and you know all like it's so it's so complicated when you get into it. But these these groups, these lobbying groups, are making sure everything is functioning at least to the best that they can make it. Right. Yeah. So. Think about salmonella scares, right? Uh, think about Ebola scares, things like that. This is where some of these groups come into play. And they've been accused in the past of pressuring members of Congress to stifle or hold back uh, regulatory moves. So they push against expensive safety standards and regulations, but they also work continually to keep meat appearing very inexpensive at your local store. There's a continued drive for efficiency. It's kind of weird, right, that chicken sells for less than $2 a pound. That's cheaper than peanuts uh, in, in a lot of parts of the world. So there's another, there's another thing here, another entity that often gets painted as the villain, and that is government action. The the factory farm lobby, you'll hear it called, uh, the, the argument is they secure these huge handouts and these handouts suppress the true cost of meat. So when we say handouts, we're not just talking about direct farm subsidies, which are a real thing, right? And they're an important thing economically. We're also talking about some indirect stuff, some uh, – some things you might not be as aware of if you're outside of the industry, like has has someone made too much chicken or too much mutton or beef or what have you? Well, there may be a buyback program for excess animal products. There may be programs that subsidize the promotion of meat. There may be loans that are subsidized over time on much more favorable terms than any loan you or I could ever get. Yeah, it's not going to happen. And in the end, the U.S. spends around $38 billion every year to subsidize the food that is produced here. And that's, that's all of it. So everything from peanuts to pigs. So $38 billion. And almost all of it goes to meat, or the vast majority of it goes to meat. Think about this. 0.04% of that $38 billion goes to subsidize fruits and vegetables. That's 17 million out of 38 billion that goes to fruits and vegetables. Right. That's why that's why you'll hear people sometimes argue that eating a meatless diet is more expensive than eating an omnivorous diet. That's mm. not that's not entirely true. It really depends on what what you could what you do with it. I have I have one friend uh who's a lifelong vegetarian associate and uh refers to himself as a French fry vegetarian because he is a very unhealthy person. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, and he will, you know, it's for him, it's rice, beans, and fries. Uh, oh, and but, uh, j- that's, that's, mm-hmm. that's awesome. But also just think about this when we we're talking about that 17 million for subsidizing fruits and vegetables. Think about the last time you visited, uh, you know, any grocery store or something. A lot of the produce that you're going to find, those fruits and vegetables, come from other countries. 
mm-hmm. from Chile, from uh, from just uh, anywhere across Mexico, a lot of Latin, yeah. Lot, yeah, a lot of Latin America, a lot of uh, South America, and you know that's one of the reasons that it's different there rather than subsidizing money because you're talking about imports then. Yeah, very good point, Matt. Uh, that that is a very good point here. Uh, so that's maybe that's not entirely our answer, though. If the if the government is doing this and the lobbies or work or the trade industries are working with the government hand in hand, um, that's something that happens at a lot uh, across a lot of industries. It happens in the tech industry, right? Maybe a more compelling explanation, maybe another piece of the puzzle, is that meat is cheap because it is so ruthlessly efficient to produce in a lot of ways. This sounds absurd, right, at first blush because all sorts of activists have talked about the inefficiency of animal agriculture and have raised very good points. Like if you think about it, cattle grown for beef are – it's tremendously inefficient from a caloric intake perspective. A a U.S. cow takes about 16,000 pounds of water for each pound of weight it gains. And, of course, you know, admittedly, cattle are a very, uh, very expensive part of this puzzle, but they're also a a smaller piece when you consider what people are eating because a lot of people are eating chicken because it is so, so cheap, right? Yeah, that's that's correct. So let's take a look at... Broiler chickens, like it's it's a chicken to be eaten, and there are lots of companies that have been working out there for a long time to figure out how to make chickens bigger, how to make them grow faster, and really just increase efficiency all around. When you're talking about a single chicken that then gets sold, it grown and sold, and uh, right now you only need two point four pounds of feed to produce a pound of usable chicken meat. Now, if you compare that to a cow, I mean, it's something insane, like a, a like 24 kilograms of feed that are required to make a, a single uh, unit of beef. It's crazy. Uh, but that just that makes a lot of sense. It's cheaper to get one chicken out there. And one chicken is a substantial amount of meat when you think about how large chickens are, especially in the United States when you when you're looking at these. Uh, modified versions. <laughs> mm, these Blade Runner chickens. Yeah. Right? Uh, yeah, yeah. It's it's absolutely nuts. Uh, also, what are corn nuts? This uh, has bothered me for a long time. <laughs> are they just, are, are they like puffed corn? Is that what it is? Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's corn, right? It's hardened corn for your pleasure. <laughs> we've got to, you know, we've also got to do an episode on corn at some point because... It is odd for people outside of the U.S. to travel here and realize corn is in everything in one form or another, right? Corn syrup. When's the last time you ate something that didn't have corn syrup in it? When's the last Uh, day you went without encountering corn syrup? When's the last day that I recognized that corn syrup was a part of whatever it was that I was eating? It's been a long time. It's been a long time. We just sort of (laughs) accepted it. Uh, You're right. Uh, It is ubiquitous. But it's it's often you know said that these subsidies are a huge part of what drives down the sticker price of meat, but there are also exceptions to regulations. So critics allege that if the U.S. government required some of these very large scale operations to treat their waste appropriately, the way that municipalities are bound to do by law, then this would cost the industry an estimated eighty to twenty billion dollars a year. Guess where that cost would end up being recouped? It would be you if you buy meat. It would it would be carried on to the consumer. So that leads us to the question, how much should this stuff actually cost? We'll tell you after a word from our sponsor. Martha Stewart, the original influencer. When I think about anything, I think about the way that she did it first. The media mogul. The six years ahead, she saw what was coming. The prisoner, the rise, the fall and the reinvention of an American icon. Once Martha paved the road, everybody else pretty much copied her. A CNN original series, The Many Lives of Martha Stewart, now streaming on Max. 
Hey, Sarah, I love that spring break vlog you posted on Zigazoo. OMG, you watched it? Yeah, it was edited so well. I think you're so talented. Social media interactions are only positive when you use Zigazoo. Zigazoo is the world's largest and safest social media network for kids. Your kids can upload their content and see what their friends are up to. With Zigazoo, they can create videos, enter to win prizes, and try out the latest dances and trends. There's no commenting, no text messaging, and everything is 100% human moderated. Plus, all community members are real, verified kids just like yours. There are no bots, trolls, or AI. Because Zigazoo is about one thing and one thing only, and that is fun. Try out Zigazoo this spring break and let your kids share your vacation blogs and best edits with their friends safely. Download the Zigazoo app today. That's Z-I-G-A-Z-O-O. Are you ready to share some joy and celebrate International Women's Day? M&M's has partnered with iHeart for Women Take the Mic treating you to the most uplifting and empowering stories of women supporting and celebrating each other. And of course, there is a smooth and creamy companion for your listening pleasure, peanut butter M&Ms, because they're just another way to help treat yourself in situations where you deserve a little added delight, like listening to your favorite podcast. So grab a handful of that creamy deliciousness, kick back and spread some positivity into the world from smashing glass ceilings to breaking records in sports on stages and at the box office. Women are crushing it in every way imaginable. And with peanut butter M&Ms by your side, relax and keep listening to women take the mic podcasts as you dance your way through inspiring stories, share laughs and savor the deliciousness of peanut butter M&Ms and the unstoppable force of women. Happy International Women's Day. This is Holly Fry from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV, like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain, from the road to the trails. And with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew can stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers. And with available features, like the panoramic moonroof, you can sit back, enjoy the wide-open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. And we're back. Now, if you listen to the show often, you know that we cover the concept of hidden costs within any given action or industry. We've we've done it all the time. And those hidden costs exist everywhere in the meat production machine. According to one David Simon, this is the author of Meatonomics, not David Simon, the creator of The Wire and other things, right? I different, so. different David Simons. <laughs> okay. Not everybody uh, can, not, not one person could be that good at so many things. Okay, okay. So David Simon, he's the author of Meatonomics, and he has found, or he believes he has found, the answer to this question. These hidden costs are things that everyone collectively will be paying for in the long run, even though we're we have relatively affordable meat, especially in the United States. And he's looking at some pretty huge numbers here in hidden costs. Yeah. So animal food producers, according to Simon, impose uh, somewhere around $414 billion worth in hidden costs on American society every single year. To be completely transparent, before we see how he, he defines that, David Simon is a person who has a, a has a cause, right? He it's is an taken, agenda. Yeah, he's partisan in this regard because he wants the same restrictions that have been applied to tobacco to one day be applied to meat. So he's definitely got a strong position here. Here's how he breaks it down. He says, when we think of hidden costs, we need to think of bills for health care, those subsidies, 
the environmental damage involved, and other items related to producing and consuming meat and dairy. Animal food production, from his perspective, now surpasses both the transportation industry and electricity generation as the greatest source of greenhouse gas. So if we put it there's if we put it in the old uh loaf of bread jug of milk big mac index we can get we can get a, a more concrete sense of this according to him if we included all the hidden expenses that the the meat industry offloads onto society in the price of a single big mac it wouldn't be $5 anymore it would be $13 which means that every time a fast food place sells any kind of sandwich, in the Big Mac example, if they're selling a $5 Big Mac to you, you are at some point in some way paying another $8 in hidden cost. And it's easy to miss that. Oh, sure. Absolutely. I, I would have to just point out that the meat production industry is the transportation industry. And when you think about how far... Mm the end product has to travel, how far all of the other, you know, goods have to travel in order to produce. God, it's weird to say produce and grow the cows, but to, to have a cow become alive and then live long enough and create enough mass for it to be a sellable product. There's all kinds of transportation costs involved there. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, no, it's, it's, it's an interesting point that David Simon places there. If you imagine if you imagine going out to eat or just buying buying food at the store, if you imagine your beef was another god another $8 for that food, I can't imagine being able to afford it. Yeah, um, not every day. Cuz we eat every day. Most mm-hmm. of us, we mm-hmm. try very hard to. Um but good god. Well, yeah, and there's there's another aspect to this too. We see other countries taking a different tact, and often they're countries that import food, so it's already going to be more expensive. Uh, but they also levy tariffs on different things, right? So the other governments have tried to intervene in in some way uh, to to address what they see as the hidden cost, right? But I, what I love about the the fantastic point you make with the how, how did you say it? It was the meat industry is the transport industry. I think that's brilliant, especially if you look at uh, just the way that chicken may be transported for processing across the Pacific. It may be grown here, pro- sent to uh, another country for processing, sent back here. Those chicken wings uh, may have seen more of the world in a very horrible, unenjoyable way than we ever will. It's it's something that I think bears consideration. And at this point, I think what we've done is, you know, this is just part one of a series. We wanted to establish some of the hidden costs to the meat industry. But we need a disclaimer at the end. This is not some hit piece on farmers or some sort of propaganda about the benefits of being vegetarian. There are benefits to being vegetarian, but uh, Matt and Mission Control and I are not vegetarian, so we're not going to uh, criticize that lifestyle, but we're we're also going to be honest. We are omnivorous. But there's another thing about the livestock industry. It is mission critical for the U.S. economy right now. So many people do this it's their it's job it's a job it's a career so you can't just turn off the faucet it would be economically disastrous okay and then there's the part about alternative meats right have you ever had an impossible burger i have yeah and i very much enjoyed it uh but it's not the same and it's i don't know when it will be the same the same experience the same joy that you get for some reason, because our childhoods were filled with $0.79 cents burgers or however much they were at the time. They were so cheap. Oh, my God, they were cheap. <laughs> um, but thankfully, across the world, there's all kinds of research and companies that are focusing on uh, alternatives to meat. Ways to get protein that we need you know, for our human bodies to grow. But the, the problem is 
it's not affordable right now. It's just not affordable. However, there are alternatives, you know, that would fall in the vegetarian category that can afford to, you know, it can give you the protein that you need that don't cost as much as meat, but it's not the same experience. It's not the same thing as having some kind of alternative meat. Yeah. Some kind of meat like substitute. It's true. And it's not, it's not because those things are super fancy or super crazy expensive so much as it is that uh, traditional meat is super, super absurdly cheap. That's, that's the real hurdle there. Uh, and it, it's a strange system. You know, farmers are some of the hardest working people in this entire country. And you hear about those subsidies all the time. But a lot of farmers don't get those subsidies. They don't get the things you hear people complaining about. In the last 15 years, something like two-thirds of American farmers didn't get, uh, didn't get a penny from direct subsidies that were worth over $100 billion. Those funds mainly go to big corporations. And that subsidy money spurs the growth of these factory farms, which can be kind of bad for local economies because they employ fewer workers per animal than regular farms, and they buy most of their supplies outside of the local area, the local economy, or they have control over multiple related industries, right? Like, now I own the trucks. Now I own the grain. Now I own the cattle. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, for sure. I'm reminded of our whole episode on farm subsidies. Yes. uh, Where we talk about a lot of that. And I would recommend you listening to it if you have a chance and you're interested in that stuff. Yeah. Yeah, because it's... um, the subsidies themselves become an industry, you know? And right now, 80% of this country's beef industry is controlled by just four companies, JBS, Smithfield, Cargill, and Tyson. They have been accused of price fixing in numerous times uh, throughout, throughout recent history in a way that doesn't benefit anybody on the beginning and end of the equation. Uh, they, the idea is they'll keep live cattle prices low and try to make beef prices higher uh, just a little bit at a time. And this, this is at the expense of the American farmer on one side, the American consumer on the other. And uh, there, there's a lot of litigation about it, but it's, it's one of those things that maybe isn't, isn't the sexiest headline. Uh, but think about what that means. You, you're they're working to make sure the cows, the cattle are cheap. So when that farmer who has put in all the effort, you know, if it's not one of these giant uh, companies and factory farms, even if it's a small farm that's been purchased by a giant company like a Tyson or Smithfield or something like that, just by having the end product that that farmer creates a a cow that is ready for slaughter. And reducing it way down, it just means it's harder and harder for that farmer to make a profit uh, in, in all of the massive expenses that are required to having and maintaining a farm. Um, it's just, I don't know, man. It's its weird to think that that's what they're doing to then keep it super cheap on the end user side. <laughs> um, I don't know, but it makes sense. I mean, it makes sense. It's all about mass scale in those instances. Mm-hmm. It's an economy of scale for sure. It also becomes a matter of sustainability. How long can this keep going? Especially as we hurtle toward a planet where people are more and more likely to be fighting over potable water, like on a large scale. Uh, where are we going to get the water for this kind of industry in the future? And and again, how how cheap should it be? How many backroom deals happen? Between that cow out there grazing in a field and uh, the hamburger that you've made or are eating, we have a lot more to cover in the secrets of the livestock industry. Uh, There are a couple of things, Matt, that you and I mentioned that are their own episodes. I would say corn probably counts uh, in the livestock industry because so much of it is involved there. Uh, We're going to cover more of this in the future. In the meantime, we want to hear from you. Do you think that there is a way uh, for meat prices to more accurately reflect these hidden costs we've described? Should they reflect those hidden costs? Would you buy them 
I mean, I, I'm going to be honest. I love a good steak. I have no idea how much it would actually it should actually cost, but it probably shouldn't be the price it's at now. Yeah, that's the big question that we want to ask you. If if beef did cost what it should, could you afford it? Would you splurge on it for a special occasion or something, or would you just stop eating it altogether? Uh, we, we'd love to know how you would handle it. Uh, you can find us everywhere. We're on social media. You can find us on Twitter and Facebook. We're at Conspiracy Stuff. On Instagram, we are Conspiracy Stuff Show. If you don't want to do that, you should head on over to this thing we like to call Here's Where It Gets Crazy. Right. That's our Facebook page where you can hang out with our favorite part of the show, your fellow listeners. Uh, if you don't care for Facebook, if that doesn't quite rustle your cattle, then you can call us directly. one eight three three stdwytk They're three minutes. They belong to you and no one else. Give us new ideas for uh, topics you think your fellow conspiracy realist will enjoy. And, or, you know, just tell us what's on your mind. Come with a cool nickname. It's up to you. It's really your three minutes. Uh, all that we ask is let us know uh, if it's okay to use your name and or voice on the air. And if you don't particularly care for that uh, mode of communication, there's one more way that you can always get in touch with us, uh, regardless of the time, regardless of the place, regardless of the space. That's our good old-fashioned email address where we are. Conspiracy at iHeartRadio.com. Stuff They Don't Want You to Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Hey, Sarah, I love that spring break vlog you posted on Zigazoo. OMG, you watched it? Yeah, it was so cool. I think you're so talented. Social media is only positive with Zigazoo, the world's largest and safest social media network for kids. In Zigazoo, all community members are verified kids like yours, and all content is fully human-moderated. Try out Zigazoo this spring break. Download the Zigazoo app today. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. And that makes us FACET for life now, I guess. <laughs> Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. As someone who lives for politics, when a major scandal unfolds... It was shocking. I have to know, what were they thinking? Backroom deals. Huge amounts of money. CIA secrets. Sets off a firestorm in Washington. Affairs. No way this guy's got a mistress. Corruption. I knew I was a dead man. Warning, it's even messier than you thought. United States of Scandal with Jake Tapper, Sunday at 9 on CNN. Ready to celebrate International Women's Day? M&M's and iHeart present Women Take the Mic, sharing empowering stories of women supporting and celebrating each other. And of course, there is a smooth and creamy companion for your listening pleasure, peanut butter M&M's, because they're just another way to help treat yourself in situations where you deserve a little added delight, like listening to your favorite podcast. So savor the deliciousness of peanut butter M&M's and spread some positivity. From breaking glass ceilings to dominating in sports and entertainment, women truly are unstoppable.